seemed like the student wasn't engaged, but he actually created an entire video game, like explaining how the body system worked. And he did that all on his own because he asked, hey, would it be okay instead if I program a simulation? The topic of today's podcast is engaging students with project-based learning. Tech Talk for Teachers. You want to practice? Tech Talk for Teachers. The podcast where teachers discuss how technology can positively transform teaching and learning. I'm Rena Clark. I'm Paul Beckerman. And I'm Pam Beckerman. We are digital learning specialists. And we're here to share actionable teaching strategies for remote, face-to-face, and blended learning. Education is our passport to the future. We discovered this week's quote on Twitter. Possibilities are endless wherever authentic learning is happening by Star Saxstein. I love that idea of endless possibilities. So I was actually just reading a very interesting book called Coding Literacy, How Computer Programming is Changing Writing. Very fascinating read. And the author pointed out that as reading and writing became more generalized, the diversity of their uses proliferated beyond their clerical and religious origins. And I think in the same way, if students engage in authentic inquiry-based learning, in this case, they were talking about computer programming, but then the learning will transpire into new and interesting things and results will include things that we aren't even able to imagine are possible for our students. Hmm, That sounds like an interesting read. Along with endless possibilities, what struck me is that authentic learning. And by definition, it's learning that involves that real world problems that are relevant to the learner, which ties perfectly to today's topic, project-based learning. Projects are definitely something that we're familiar with as teachers, but project-based learning is one that is not always fully understood. So Paul, what exactly is project-based learning? PBL. It's like Paul Beckerman learning right there. (laughs) (laughs) No, project-based learning is like an ice cream shop. That's an authentic thing. Uh, Actually, because there are many flavors with many different names, but they're all still ice cream. And (laughs) that seems weird. But the reason I said it is because PBL has a lot of different definitions too. It seems like everybody has their own little flavor of project-based learning, their own little twist on it, but it's really essentially the same thing. When I explore project-based learning, I usually go to the Buck Institute first and they have a website, PBL Works. I'd say they're the leading um, organization and resource that really studies project-based learning. So ironically, Even the Buck Institute has several ways on their website that they describe project-based learning, which is probably fitting. Uh, But each one reveals something a little bit different about PBL. I'll just share two different ones. The first one, project-based learning is a teaching method in which students gain knowledge and skills by working for an extended period of time to investigate and respond to an authentic, engaging, and complex question, problem, or challenge. Whew, that's a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> that's packed. It's good. But it's that sustained thing. And again, it's that authenticity that's that's so important. And then later on, they go on a little more conversationally to say um, they, being the students, demonstrate their knowledge and skills by creating a public product or presentation for a real audience. As a result, students develop deep content knowledge, as well as critical thinking, collaboration, creativity, and communication skills. We know those as the four C's, right? 
Project-based learning unleashes a contagious creative energy among students and teachers. And I had to say that last line because honestly, well, it's a cool line, but that is the essence of why I love project-based learning. Quick little story. Back in my English teaching days, my colleague, Mary Jensen, did something called a compassion project. So she was an English language arts teacher, and she had her students read a novel, and one of the themes was compassion. So the characters were compassionate. So then what she did is she had the students identify authentic ways that they could show compassion in our local community. So it was kind of a small town, 2,500 people. And ultimately, then they tied the ELA outcomes to the project, but the project was born out of this passion to help other people. And it came from this intrinsic desire in the kids to do good for somebody else. So they ended up organizing game days at a local nursing home. They read books to elementary students. They raised money for scholarships. They did all these incredible things. And they could have just like read a book and taken a test. So much better. Back to the idea of they're doing things that we never even imagined possible that we thought that they would even be interested in doing. Yeah, it was their passion. And then they could make an impact. I mean, it's not only a passion, but it's something that gives them voice and um, knowing that they're making a change for the better. You know, I think we hear too often that kids don't care about school. Mm-hmm. They care about a lot of things. We just need to make school integrated into what they care about and they can do such amazing things. So anyway, we're going to review really and break down what project-based learning is today. And the Buck Institute will kind of go with their gold standard PBL sort of and and frame it around that for the most part. But they have eight different elements. So we're going to take turns kind of digging into a few. Rena, you think you're going to kick us off here? So really, it all starts with a challenging problem or question. And that's often referred to as a driving question. And that question, I I like to think of it as this overarching umbrella that all other questions and everything else in PBL lives under. So the driving question needs to be open-ended. It absolutely has to be open-ended. It has to allow for deep inquiry. And it's not something that can be easily answered. It should allow many possible right answers. There's no one right answer. So many possible right answers. So I like to say this is not something that can be Googled or answered with Siri or Alexa. Like my kids aren't going to be able to ask Alexa and get an answer. It needs to align with learning goals and standards. So even when you're creating a project, you need to think about what are the standards and learning goals that you're hoping students achieve throughout. And that will help you kind of identify your question as well. And it needs to be engaging to all students. So this is why it's so important to create that classroom culture and really know all of your students. So it should not include anyone. It should be engaging for all students. And then thinking of the driving question somewhat similar to an essential question or problem or statement. And though although it can be written ahead of time by the teacher or even hopefully you're working in a PLC or a group of teachers, there does need to be that allowance of it being adjusted. So allowing students to give input and then maybe create that driving question together. You might have a topic or idea, but then use student voice to actually write that driving question and that will be more empowering, engaging to them. Yeah, kind of like Mary Jensen, right? That she gave Mm -hmm. the students a parameter that it had to be something to do with compassion and they chose their own topics. Yeah, so I'm currently we're actually working with a fourth grade team, first time trying project-based learning. We're in a fully remote setting. I'm, they're very brave, and I love it because they're feeling forward. They're mm-hmm. learning from this whole process. But we came, we 
it was lovely because I've been able to work with both the, the elementary social studies and ELA facilitator. I'm a STEM facilitator and some of the other facilitators because we have less time with students. It's very short. I know students in our district get two hours and 15 minutes of synchronous instruction. That is it. But we're currently, they're doing a unit, a writing and reading unit, and it was talking about extreme weather. And so we kind of pulled all these ideas together, looked at some science standards for fourth grade, and they came up with the question, how can we keep our community safe from severe weather hazards? Hmm. And the kids came up with that? That's awesome. So the teachers work together. I'm going to be honest as the fourth grade teachers, like I said, teachers, the students have some more input and I'm going to share more about that Mm -hmm. later, like some questions they were able to create as a result. But that was kind of the driving question. You don't always have to give student input, but it is nice. But this is their very first time. And that's the other thing we'll kind of highlight later is even if you just do one component, two components, that's totally fine. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so that next part is sustained inquiry. So sustained project-based learning is not going to be done in a day. So it's very different from a traditional project because the project is the unit. So most PBL takes place over an extended period of time where sustained inquiry is absolutely essential, especially if you're talking weeks, this has to be sustained. So students are constantly creating and posting new questions to help them answer the driving question. So in order to answer that question, you have to ask additional questions. They have to find resources to help them answer those questions and then apply that information they learn to create their final product. So that's where the student questions came in, in that Mm -hmm. situation. Yeah. So in the specific unit I'm working with, the students have been creating some of those questions. Cool. Uh, And then so I think about this and I know in PBL Works, they even have some templates and things, but it's important as the teacher to include different milestones as you're kind of planning that out, it might take you somewhere different, but you have to plan out those milestones. I know for this project, we kind of had a milestone for each week. Um, And a milestone could be achieved in a shorter or longer period of time. That's just kind of up to you. And then for each milestone, there should be key student questions included in the milestone. Um, And they're different than the driving question, but also the teacher really needs to think through for each milestone, what's kind of their role. Are they going to be a coach? Are they going to be a mentor? Are they going to be someone that helps make connections with outside resources? Um, So there's lots of different roles. PBL is student-centered. It's not teacher-centered. So you're going to have to shift from that. You're not lecturing. You're not sitting. You're supporting students. You're kind of shifting more to that coaching and mentoring role. So it's also good to know for each milestone what role might you be in. And for each milestone, you might have a different focus on certain content standards. There might be more of a focus on writing one week, more of a focus on science. You can plan that ahead of time. So I highly consider creating a project calendar and thinking about how you will arrange and provide resources. So an example, so in that fourth grade project, our guiding question was, how can we keep our community safe from severe weather hazard? But the very first week, Our milestone was just a launch, introducing students to PBL, what the heck is this, and creating an entry event. So our key questions for that week were, what do we already know about natural hazards? What do we want to know? How will we figure it out? And then because we had a specific science tie-in, how do volcanoes and earthquakes affect humans? You know what happens to a milestone, Rena, once you reach it and you can celebrate? It becomes a smilestone. I love it. Smilestone. (laughs) 
So you can have uh, several milestones and PBO, like probably the shortest, honestly, is going to be a week. That's, I don't really know many people that do anything shorter than that, but I mean, this could be several months. It's absolutely necessary for student voice and choice because it's student centered and student driven. So throughout the project, you need to provide opportunities for students to make decisions about the project. So in the one you were talking about, Paul, Passion, what were you saying? It's a A compassion project. Yeah. There you go. Compassion. Mm -hmm. I know some people have talked about like passion projects as well. I might have mentioned that too. mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's part of the voice and choice. And then you can make little opportunities for voice and choice as well. Like maybe even who they work with, what they work on, how they're going to create, what they're going to create for that final project. However, I'm going to be honest, if you're brand new to this, that also doesn't mean it just has to be this open door of endless possibilities. Because I know what the teachers I'm working with, we created a pretty uh, short list of like three things that they really felt like they could support. And then there was this opportunity. If students really had this other thing, like, you never know, you might have a kid. I had a friend tell me, you know, it seemed like this student wasn't engaged, but he actually created an entire video game, like explaining how the body system worked. And he did that all on his own because he asked, hey, would it be okay instead if I program Mm -hmm. a simulation? Cool. Okay. And I do think it matters too what age they're at because you're talking fourth grade and I was talking 11th and 12th grade, completely different um, bar there that we're setting. We have to provide more scaffolding for those younger students, obviously. And I remember a quote that we said in one of our earlier podcasts, choice is awesome, but too much choice leads to paralysis. Mm-hmm. Voice and choice with guardrails, right? Otherwise, it is overwhelming. Yeah. Two options is options. And you can always have that one other with, you know, maybe check in and, and give us some ideas. So, and then we can use things that we brought up before, like those playlists, choice boards. Those can all be integrated into PBL as well. Mm-hmm. Well, along with voice and choice, another key element is making it authentic. And as we mentioned earlier, by definition, that's meaning making it real world, right? And relevant for our learners. And there's really, I think, three key elements to making it authentic. That's having the authentic product of their learning, the what it is that they're going to create, but also that authentic audience to whom they're going to communicate that learning with, but also authentic process of learning, that that is real life as well. In fact, the example I think of is actually um, during the last pandemic, the 2009 H1N1 pandemic. Do you remember that? And so that was kind of a big deal, at least in Minnesota. Um, The Children's Hospital sponsored this video contest, and my sixth through eighth grade students decided to participate and make a video. And so it was very authentic. It certainly was a challenging problem or driving question. How do I keep students um, healthy during the pandemic? Their authentic audience for that video was all K-12 students in the state of Minnesota, and the authentic product was a video. And back then it was a DVD that would be distributed to all the schools in Minnesota to educate everybody about the pandemic and how to stay healthy. And in terms of the process being authentic, they really did learn through the process of meeting the challenge of the product uh, project. I mean, what is a virus? How does it spread? How do we prevent the spread? How do we effectively communicate a message to students in just two minutes? How do we learn the technology to create and produce that video? How do we divide and conquer the work as a group? 
how do we ensure we meet the contest deadlines? All of that was very authentic. And then through that process, they really did hit the four C's that Paul was mentioning in the earlier quote from PBL Works. I mean, they were definitely critically thinking collaborating, communicating, and they certainly had to be creative because part of the hook, you know, for students to watch the video, they needed to be creative. But they also had an opportunity to really develop their social and emotional learning skills too, because they certainly faced challenges that they had to overcome to meet that. I just think it was so real world and relevant because it was definitely something that was in our world at the time, unfortunately, again, in a bigger way. And I always think that it looks so much more like my own job. I mean, those things that describing students doing, I'm doing on a daily basis, um, so much more than what sometimes can happen in classrooms, listening to lectures, filling out worksheets, and then taking an exam is not nearly as authentic. And then the skills that they gain, those lifelong skills that they gain as a result of that experience. And by the way, I'm proud to say my students won the contest. <laughs> I'm going to see this video. It is. You'll find it if you look for it. But it, their winning one was called Be a Germinator and Fight the Flu. And yeah, so DVDs of their video, two-minute video, went out to the entire state of Minnesota um, for them to do. And then the following year, the um, Children's Hospital ran the contest again. And that we saw another group of students decided they wanted to do it as well. I think they took second or third, I forget which, but they were be a germ buster, don't be germy. So they had a lot of fun. They were very creative and learned a lot about flus as well as about um, those work skills along the way. I got to watch some of it happen in real life because they came down and asked me if they could borrow my green screen fabric. And they took it down to the gym and they hung this huge green screen over the bleachers and they filmed themselves in front of it. And what, what did they do with that, Pam? do with the green screen well with kind of, they had to do so much troubleshooting because they had to figure out how, what their goal was is to have they were each a little germ or whatever as a being and they wanted that to come out of the mouth of somebody who was sneezing so they each wanted to be running out of the mouth so they had to figure out how to make themselves small enough to fit inside of a mouth on a green screen so all that critical thinking troubleshooting problem solving um it was great. They really did learn a lot and had a lot of fun. Talk about engaged. They were highly engaged. They were working on that project outside of our classroom. So through problem solving and technology, they shrunk themselves. <laughs> they did. And how much easier it would be today and how much broader their audience could be instead of mailing a DVD out to all those schools. I love that you made that connection of these are the skills I use in my own job. I recently just did a little, it was actually a little Jamboard activity with teachers at a meeting and they put down what, you know, what skills do you want students to have or do you think they're going to need for their career? And none of them said, you know, standard 5.37 can't, you know, it was all about collaboration, communication, all of those things that you mentioned. Those are the skills that we're not directly teaching students, but we can and provide them opportunities to practice and improve those with PBL. And the memories and the relationships they built along that journey, those kids, they were sixth through eighth graders, they're adults now, <laughs> they still remember it. <laughs> Absolutely. That actually ties in nicely to the, the last chunk of the project-based learning um, process here. And it's really three chunks all in one, it's reflection, critique, and revision. And really, I think we all know what those are, but they lead to some of those lifelong skills that were referenced in, in both of your sections, you know, that things that aren't on a test, things that aren't maybe a specific standard in the curriculum, but those are those things like resiliency and, and growth mindset and things that we need as adults to be successful. So 
it's fortunate that PBL is not a one and done event, right? It's a growth process. It's, and that's part of the power of it. Uh, students develop that stamina to tackle a complex problem. They develop that critical eye for what can make their solution or product better. Um, they get input from multiple sources, hopefully, and continue to strive to improve. And uh, Pam pointed out the importance of authentic authenticity earlier. And I really believe the more authentic the project, the more that feedback matters to the student. Uh, when I was media specialist, I had a few students do independent study projects in music production, kind of in this back studio behind my office. It was so cool. It was true project-based learning, and they were fired up to make music. They learned how to use the software. They played the instruments. They learned how to write songs. They learned how to do the production. And along the way, they, they actually wanted as much feedback as they could because they wanted it to be really good. So they bring their friends in, listen to this. What do you hear? Anything? What can I fix? What can I make better? And they did that over and over again. And eventually at the end, they created, okay, CDs. We don't do that so much anymore. But they made full albums of music that then they distributed with their friends and things. I, I guarantee you they still have those today. So cool. Feedback matters when the outcome matters. And it really mattered to those kids. All right, let's take a little dive into tool talk. And we're just going to talk about one of the kinds of tools that really works well in project-based learning, and that's creating websites. And it's so important because it does give us that authentic audience. My part, real quick, just a couple tools that you can choose. Uh, Google Sites, if you're a Google district, super awesome. They improve it all the time. It's free. You can control who gets to see it. It's safe. Uh, Blogger, also in the Google suite, if you want to do more of a blog theme rather than a full website. Again, you can control access on that. Weebly and Wix, you might have to be a little bit older. Those are professional um, publishing site companies that are out there, but they offer free um, versions, which are awesome, and you can do some really professional-looking things. And then for the little littlest learners and the youngest learners, Seesaw Blog is a great option because the teacher can really can control access within that platform. Yeah, really from our littlest to our oldest learners, everyone can create a website. And I think that really supports what Paul was just talking about, that sustained inquiry, but also the critique and revision process, because they're constantly using that website to even talk about their own learning, critiquing what they've done. And it's amazing. And the other thing I want to point out, it creates a really positive digital tattoo for students and it's authentic, could be shared worldwide. So when colleges are looking at your digital footprint or whatnot, now you have something positive and really amazing to share instead of something negative. <laughs> nice. And it can actually serve as a neat portfolio too. We've had um, conversations about that in the past, but it's a way for students to document and reflect along the journey of project-based learning. And so it's a means for them to also then share and celebrate those skills and, um, and knowledge that they've gained along the way. Perfect. And you know what? It's time for? It's time for that one thing. So as you think back on our conversations about project-based learning, what is your one big takeaway? Rena, let's start with you. So project-based learning creates great power, and with great power, there is greater responsibility, which is what we want our students to have. So in order to make a shift to student-centered learning, students must be given more power and responsibility, but they also know they have some amazing sidekicks 
So their classmates and their teacher. And then it's always going to be, the, the teacher's always going to be there for them. So I like to think of myself, or if you're the teacher, as Alfred. And my students are like Batwoman or Batman. And I help design and create opportunities and provide support while the students are out there doing the real work and kicking butt. <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. And I think that ties in perfectly with my one thing. Students need to own the learning process. We need to let them do the heavy lifting. They have the superpowers, right, to grow and to solve the problems. That's when they will thrive and grow. It'll be hard, but hard is not bad. When the right supports are in place, hard can be the catalyst for growth. Mm, absolutely. And then making the learning as authentic as possible. It really does engage the students in their learning, regardless if they're face-to-face -face or distance or a hybrid. And it develops those transferable skills that will make them successful beyond the classroom. We will have more about project-based learning in upcoming episodes. But to leave you today, we'd like to issue a little challenge for you, a little project-based learning challenge for you. What can you do in your classroom, with your curriculum, with your lessons, with your students, where the students or collectively you can come up with some kind of a driving question to let your students solve an authentic problem where they own the learning? There's your challenge. It'll empower your students and it'll be fun. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk for Teachers. We invite you to visit us at avidopenaccess.org where you can explore tech tips, grab-and-go lessons, templates, and videos that will help bring remote learning to life. We want to hear from you, so let's continue the conversation. Join us for the first and third Tuesday of the month at 7.30 p.m. Central for a live chat on Twitter where we will facilitate conversations related to remote, face-to-face, -face, and blended learning. Look for hashtag Tech Talk for Teachers. We will discuss your responses on future podcasts. We'll be back here next Wednesday for a fresh episode of Tech Talk for Teachers. And remember, go forth and be awesome. Thanks for all you do. You make a difference. <laughs>